Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. Together, we're going to explore lessons to help us live well. Before we jump into today's incredible conversation, I'd like to tell you about Energy by Design. Energy by Design is my game-changing wellbeing program for educators. It's a space to connect, share, laugh, and learn with others that understand the demands of school life. In this 10-week program, I share wellbeing skills and strategies that have helped countless educators to feel good, function well, and reignite their passion for teaching. The program includes access to an exclusive conversation series with wellbeing experts and educators and weekly videos, handouts and group coaching call. The group coaching call will be Thursday evenings at 7pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. If you're ready to experience more energy, clarity and confidence in your life, Energy by Design is for you. Join the waitlist now and be the first to know when enrolments open. On with today's show. In this episode, I chat with Emily Hazel. Emily is a founder and owner of Serotonin Eatery, Exercise and Education in Richmond in Melbourne, Australia. She opened a cafe with a vision of changing minds and lives with mental health education and awareness. Emily works closely with nutritionists, psychologists, food scientists and dietitians to provide accessible and credible information to her guests. In this conversation, we discuss... The stimulant cycle that keeps many of us feeling wired and tired, the realities of owning and running a business, practical ways to generate more energy in our lives, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Emily Hazel. A heads up, we will be discussing suicide and suicidal thoughts during this episode. Emily, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you so much, Meg. I am so excited to have this conversation because just a few weeks ago, I'd finished talking in Melbourne, one of my first live events, and I thought, I really need a green smoothie. Where can I get a green smoothie? Straight away, I'm like, serotonin, going to visit Emily, serotonin, have a green smoothie. And what you have created at Serotonin is hard to articulate. So I'm so looking forward to unpacking that with you today. But before we jump into that, Emily, how did you get so interested in this idea of happiness and helping people bring out the best in themselves? Oh, that's such a nice way to say it. Thank you. I'll just sort of summarize because Serotonin Eatery has been open for seven years now. So a lot of listeners have sort of heard this and I'm thinking that parents and teachers is kind of going to be who's listening to you. So I think I'll give it a different perspective today because my journey to happiness did start when I was in high school and I was going through what I, I call mood funk still. And definitely at the time I called that because of, for lack of a better word, but now I understand for me, it was depression leading to suicidal thoughts in my teenage years. So it was in about year eight, year nine that this started. And the only resource at school was school counselors, which still was an amazing resource, but they didn't have resources, I guess. So I would go and I would talk, they would listen. And it wasn't until the last few years I actually spoke to mom and I was like did the school councils ever speak to you You know I was sitting in there saying I'm having suicidal thoughts this is what I'm planning this is what I'm doing and she was like no they never called me so I feel like that was a sort of lack of breakdown back then but the counselors were great and I really needed some steps and I really needed a plan to look after myself better you know so that I could follow and make myself happier healthier but I just sort of cruised through high school really not having great mental health and at 18 I moved out of home I still was living with all of this going on in my mind until I was about 21. And so finally at 21, I probably matured a little bit more and thought, okay, I need to take myself to the doctor. That was the next step that I thought. So I went to a doctor, which was not my family doctor, someone who'd never met me because um, I moved out of home and I'd spoken to them for less than five minutes. And they said, we're putting you on antidepressants. And it sort of shocked me as soon as they said that. And then that night I went home and it just didn't sit well with me. And I started really researching. I got on Google Scholar. I was like, what does this mean? What does this mean for me? What is this going to look like? And I think for me, luckily at the time, it just didn't sit right with me. And I just started researching natural happiness. So what is natural happiness? How do you become naturally happy? And it was after months of researching natural happiness, this word serotonin kept popping up. And I liked the difference between happiness and serotonin because happiness seemed like a heightened goal. It seemed like something that sort of wasn't real just to be happy all the time, whereas serotonin was more about 
mood stabilization. This is now when I'm sort of 21 to 23, four, and I was working with a food scientist, a dietitian, naturopath, Chinese doctor, a psychologist, and what we put together is now the serotonin formula. So this is sort of 12 steps to natural happiness. These are super simple things that back then I started doing every single day. The sort of main one is sleeping eight hours or just sleeping for what your body needs and hopefully it's a minimum of eight hours. So it's really basic things. They don't cost any money. They're things that now I do every single day without even thinking about it, like raising your heart rate. And I say that as well. We put that in there like that instead of exercise because that could just look like anything. If you've got kids, you know, it's just like walking with the pram or chasing them around the house. Like raising your heart rate can be absolutely anything. It doesn't have to be slogging it out in a hit workout. And the other one that I definitely want to point out is stopping the stimulant cycle in Australia we're stuck on what's called the stimulant cycle and we get up in the morning we have caffeine kicks us off for the day we head up to 3 p.m and then that all drops off and then we need that sugar spike so we have sugar in the afternoon and then that drops off and then in the evening alcohol or whatever stimulant you have at nighttime is really common in Australia, especially sort of for the older generation. Like I grew up with my parents having a gin and tonic at five o'clock, a white wine at six o'clock, a red wine at seven o'clock. And personally, I now understand how much those stimulants affect your body because you do that throughout the day and then you get to go to bed and your body is all over the shop. You have a terrible night's sleep. And of course you wake up and need caffeine again. So it's a really vicious cycle that Australians have been on. And that was something that in my early twenties, I actually pretty much stopped drinking. So those things have allowed me to sort of find my happiness. And yeah, there's 12 more steps that I can give everyone. I love so much about your story and thank you so much for sharing. I'm thinking about a young Emily in secondary school, having the courage to speak to a counsellor. I know in our generation, even the courage to go to a counsellor was so big. And then to get there and feel like, well, what can I do? Where's the skills? Where's the strategies? And then getting to a place in your life where you took the action to research, to strategize and think, what can I do? And talking to a range of different people, I think that is so beautiful to bring a mix of people together with a mix of perspectives and experiences and then play with it yourself and start to notice, Mm. I really need eight hours sleep. And if I don't get it, I feel differently. And then going on to create a space, a cafe where (laughs) people can experience this. And I think that is one of the hardest parts when it comes to well-being is you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know that you can feel differently. So I'd love to know from you, Emily, what is happiness to you? I love that. I just want to reiterate as well that people don't know how good their body is designed to feel. That was like the biggest thing for me. You're like, yeah, I feel good. And I look at sort of like my parents as well and their generation, they're like, I feel good. But when you start eating differently back then, I also sort of went on more of a plant-based diet and that was like my whole world just sort of opened up. My digestion changed, my energy went up and I just had like clarity of thought. And it was in this time, yeah, where I created what the whole serotonin business is. So yeah, you just don't know how good your body is designed to feel. Like happiness for me has changed a lot over the years. One thing that I'll say is that it's definitely not a destination. I think a lot of people are learning this now and nor is it somewhere that you live permanently. I'm just not permanently happy, although I can find moments of happiness throughout my day. But happiness is about knowing that even in the dark moments, there is light ahead. So a great analogy is the ocean. Waves keep coming in and each wave can hold a different emotion. I know and you can keep in your mind that somewhere in each set, there's going to be a wave of happiness. Now, sort of knowing what I know, I can be feeling a different emotion, but I can always sit in that anger, frustration, sadness, maybe even moments of depression still. And I can see and I know that positive things are going to happen. And it's okay to sit in that emotion. And like that has really helped me get through some hard times in the last 10 years. I love that distinction of it's not a destination. It's we're not trying to tick all the boxes to get to happy land. It is about what brings us meaning and purpose and understanding that we're human, having a human experience. I love the metaphor of the beach and the waves because every time we go to the beach, it's different. (laughs) 
and that's our <laughs> lives like every day is different exactly sometimes you know exactly it's not perfect it's like you're in the Bahamas and then lovely you know I'm on the Korean coastline too so sometimes it is crashing in at you but yeah it just keeps coming in and the tide keeps going back out and that's it that's how I just sort of sit with my emotions like oh I had a crappy day today but tomorrow I can just make it better the tide will keep coming in and the way it'll keep coming in in summer good have you found having that more open perspective of happiness and a more fluid understanding of the human experience has allowed you almost to experience more joy in your life? Oh yeah, definitely. I think doing little practices like gratitude journaling, which I wow, maybe even started like 10 years ago now, but just finding those simple, simple moments. Like when I started doing gratitude journaling, I'd say, what am I grateful for? You think my house, my bed, and now you can just think things like the sun on my skin right now. You know, you can just find those little moments of happiness in every day. I love that idea of little moments of happiness, the warmth on your skin, the sun being there, being able to see a blue sky. Can you tell us some other micro moments that bring you joy? Yeah, from all that I've learned, each present moment I can sort of sit with and smile. So sort of knowing what I've just said, I don't have to do the grand things to find joy anymore. I mean, I still do a lot of the grand things for fun, but joy for me is everything from my guests and my staff, like just their smiling faces, to all the things I do to keep fit, like bike riding, sitting with family and friends. And for me, I get so much joy in connecting humans, things that really don't cost that much money. So like listening to my body and eating and moving how it wants in that day. So I really listen to sort of the seasons in the world and the seasons in my body. And I I go with those and those things just bring me so much joy. And what I'm hearing from you is as you're listening to your body, as you're engaging with these micro moments of joy, there feels there's a confidence there. And maybe that confidence wasn't there years ago. Mm. (laughs) Yes, definitely. I wouldn't, yeah, something, even sort of things like my digestion, like I mentioned in high school, excuse me, but going to loo was like a horrible experience. And I just didn't understand my body. You know, we ate sort of a really typical Australian diet, but that just was not working for my body. But I wasn't speaking to anyone and no one was asking me like, how does your body feel? And it really, yeah, didn't feel good. And now that I know, you know, I can eat one different thing or drink one different thing, or yeah, if I do have like alcohol, I can see how much that affects my body, my mind, the days ahead. So those things we weren't asked growing up and we didn't know how to tune into. So yeah, I've definitely got to learn how to listen to my body. And I can even remember in my early to mid twenties, like YouTube was where I would get a lot of my information back then. And I was listening to a YouTuber and she was saying something about how, when she had a drink of Coke or something like that, that she could feel how different that was in her body. And I was like, what are you talking about? No, you can't. (laughs) And now I can feel all those different things. You know, I can feel different things in my stomach that I've eaten. I'm like, oh, that's something I should (laughs) not have often. So true, Emily, because I notice now, which I never used to notice, is when I've had a lot of sugar Mm -hmm. in one day, the next day I feel a little bit hungover in the morning. I just feel a little bit slower, a little bit groggier. And because yesterday was my birthday, there was a lot of sugar and I had a great time. And this morning when I went to the gym, I noticed such a dip in my performance when I was sitting on the ergo. Normally I can just do my warm up and not think twice, but today it was really just hard going and the session was hard going where years ago, I wouldn't have even put it down to what I've consumed or the day before I would have maybe thought I'm just having an off day or it's Monday. I've got Monday-itis. As I'm getting older too, I'm really noticing that connection if it's alcohol and how I feel or if it's too much sugar or too much scrolling, where once upon a time, I don't think I had that awareness around that connection between mind and body and what I'm doing and how that's impacting the way that I feel. And I think that's probably a sign for people listening how far you are on your well-being journey how connected are you to your body and do you answer those whispers or do you just keep moving on anyway oh that is so powerful that is so huge I think and even the scrolling you've just really summed it up it's a dopamine come down so it's like the sugar or the yeah whatever you've gotten that hit off and that is really what I am so so passionate about is natural happiness so people have like yeah glass of champagne or whatever the thing is they want to have on a Saturday night which I've been there and done all of it to get that hit 
And when I'm living truly aligned and when I'm making conscious choices and living sort of my best life, I can wake up and be beaming, you know, as if I've just had three glasses of champagne. I can wake up, jump out of bed, smile from ear to ear and just be so happy. Like I have skipped down Chapel Street before like another because it's just like happiness beaming out of me. And it's because, yeah, because I can listen to my body and over the years and it doesn't mean I don't have sugar or caffeine or alcohol or all those things, but it's about making really conscious choices. And yeah, what do you do around those and how much of it do you have and how are you going to recover from it? And yeah, do I have something the next day that's going to be affected by that? And it's really interesting. I can see friends around me who are going through sort of health issues and I see it sort of going through something horrible, but I can see something positive in it because I'm like, oh, you are going through this right now and you are learning at such an incredible pace because when your body is sort of giving you these signs, it's so exciting because you're going to learn this and you're never going to go backwards from here. That's a strange thing to tell people. (laughs) Yes, I feel the same. When I see people going through real struggles and I see them holding on to exercise and reducing the alcohol and doing things that they've never done before, I get excited because I think (laughs) you just do not know what's possible for you on the other side of this because you're literally opening up your mind to a new way of being, to wake up in the morning with energy, to wake up looking forward to the day. And that's what I love about the work that you do and sharing it on this podcast is there is so much we can do, small, tiny things that build up over time to create more of that natural buzz that we are human alive on this incredible planet. There is so much to do when we're not distracted in that stimulant cycle. (laughs) Yes. And it has to be your own journey. You know, my brother has a cat and he loves watching crazy cat things. That drives me insane. So you've got to listen to yourself, learn about yourself. I think, yes, something I definitely want to say out loud is just, you need to spend a lot of time alone. That's something that, well, thanks to COVID, I was able to do. So, but even prior to that, I've sort of lived alone since my early twenties and it is amazing because yeah, I haven't had outside distractions about food in my house. You know, whatever I bring into my house is what I bring in and I can sort of wake up and go to bed and do my own routine. So I've really, really gotten to know myself and I'm really comfortable with myself and spending a lot of time alone. So I think if I can recommend anything, you know, I would never have traveled alone in my early twenties and now I'd get so excited to travel alone. That is such a good point. And I remember for me, when I moved from Melbourne, living in Richmond to Toowoomba that was the first time that I'd really left and it was so strange not to have every minute scheduled from work to working out to catching up with friends that was really tough at the start to have time and then I started to love it I loved just having space where I wasn't talking where I wasn't on and then now I often laugh that I ended up doing an eight-year sabbatical in isolation and (laughs) Uh, living on the farm. And I think it's the biggest gift because it was a period of time where I really got to stop and think and learn. I learned so much. I read so many books, listened to so many podcasts, and it gave me space to really think about the choices I was making and how I was showing up. And that can be a real struggle if we're in this stimulant cycle If we're distracted by being busy or scrolling or whatever it is for us, it can be hard if we don't have space to stop and think about how is this going for me? Is this really working for me? And then sometimes we get worried about the answers to those questions. So we just get busier, like a vicious cycle. (laughs) I remember what the sort of aha moment for me was I read it somewhere and it said, time you enjoy wasting is not wasted time at all because we feel so guilty you know I just want to sit down you know want to watch Netflix or I just want to but that quiet time yeah is where you get to have some self-reflective time so in Melbourne especially yeah people get very caught up in being busy a lot of my friends don't sort of have enough time to do the things they want and it's it's just that yeah your priorities aren't in order and and that's something that I've researched a lot into sort of happiness in older people and, and their regrets. And they, yeah, they regret being busy and not making time for these simple things that bring joy and not, yeah, not wasting that time. You know, if it's gardening, if it's whatever, 
whatever brings you joy is not wasting time. Yes, that is such a beautiful point because it's bringing you joy and that's never wasted. Yeah, that's exactly what life is about, those moments. Not about going to work, slogging it out in the gym. You know, life will go on whether you do those things or not, but you want to make the most of your moments. That's so true. And even thinking about exercise, life is too short to do exercise you don't enjoy. <laughs> do exercise that you like. Yes, exactly. My, I actually have ADHD and something that over the years I only discovered I had it at 30, something that I now realize is I enjoy well, my hobby is trying hobbies. <laughs> so I've got roller skates, I've got a bike, I've got, and I do all of them for about a week a year and I've got 20 different things, golf clubs, but but that's my hobby. I don't do the exact same thing every single week and actually doing the same thing every week drives me insane. I used to not even walk the same way home from school every day. I'd walk 10 different ways to my house, but that's something that, yeah, I've learned about myself and I enjoy doing all these different things and keeping, you know, movement instead of calling it exercise. My movement is fun. Yes, and thinking about that, what works for you and then for another person the routine of every Saturday morning I do that (laughs) that gives me joy and having that flexibility to work with what works for you yeah and knowing as well for me uh, movement is about mental health so yesterday I had a really crappy mental health day and just like when I got dressed I just put workout gear on and I was just like somewhere, sometime in this day, I will do some sort of movement. And it ended up just being like a run around the blocks here. And that just changed my whole day as well. So that was just a little goal. It wasn't tedious. It was something. And I knew afterwards, I'm going to feel amazing. So it was a really positive thing, even though I didn't really feel like it, it still came from a good place, not a punishing place. Yes. Because you've got to that point in your life where, you know, even if you don't feel like it, you were going to feel better for it. Yep. The same as what you were saying before, sort of with food and sugar. I know if I eat fish and chips, I'll probably feel crap afterwards. So knowing what you should and shouldn't eat, we all sort of know, and I keep that in the forefront of my mind, even though I'm going to get that dopamine hit off a big, dirty piece of flake deep fried. And I'll go for the, you know, the lighter option always now, and I can feel better for the 24 hours after instead of the five minutes when you're eating it. Yes. And then having times where you think, okay, I know it's not the greatest choice, but I'm willing to take the hit later on for it. But then there's some times where you think I'm not willing to take the dip. Yeah, exactly. Assessing how your life's going in that moment. How am I actually feeling? What do I really need? Sometimes I need the dopamine chocolate. (laughs) Yeah. Well, sometimes like I often think when it comes to alcohol, there'll be some months where I don't drink anything because I think I don't need that extra pressure on my system. I've got enough happening Mm -hmm. at the moment. I'm not willing to put that in. And then there are some times where I feel I'm sort of up and about. Things are going quite well. I can take that dip the next day. I'm willing to have one or two because I know that I have the capacity for that dip, but there are some times where we don't have the capacity to keep yeah. giving ourselves this dip. Like, so we have that buzz of it. It's good in the moment, but it's the after effects. And I think having the ability to understand how things affect you in the long run is just such a skill. Yeah. And I really wish that was something we spoke about sort of more as a world and more as the government over the last few years, you know, health has been at the forefront of the news for the last two years, but we never dug into this stuff. Like I would love nothing more than for the serotonin formula to have been what we talk about. Things like alcohol can lower your immune system so much. Caffeine can actually lower. If you're using these things as sort of coping mechanisms, or if you're using these things every single day, you sort of need to look at those because at the moment you just want to be keeping yourself so healthy. You know, we're having to get these vaccines and things like that. And in the lead up to all of those, I just go into turbo mode with my health because my health is just my number one priority I never want to even have a day sick you know because I just value feeling good yes because you value that you put time and energy and prioritize Mm. that in your life yes yes priority exactly because a lot of people say yeah health is one of my top values and priorities and then you say okay so how much do you invest in it (laughs) oh oh I don't really actually do much for it daily, but yeah, yeah, I'm really like health is up there. So translating that, I prioritize it. I start to shape my life around learning to feel good and what works for me. So along the journey, what have been some lessons or myths that keep coming up? That happiness is something you can feel all the time. That's just simply not true. Um, You'll have moments of happiness and we all find our happiness in different ways. Like I was saying, it's about getting to know yourself and designing 
your life to make as many of these moments as regularly as you can. I know you, like me, love an ocean swim. That is a dopamine hit on steroids for me. There's nothing better than if I can get into the ocean in a day. I just, it takes away all my worries. You know, it's time where no one can call me. (laughs) I'm not connected. You cannot be scrolling out there. So just finding whatever it is that brings you joy. That happiness is not meant to be a constant state of being. Exactly. You will not know what happiness feels like unless you felt sadness. Ironically, you don't feel the highest highs. I feel like because I felt the lowest lows and because I've been down there, my highs sort of seem to feel higher. I think, you know, I know what depression and going through suicidal thoughts can feel like. So when I just feel these little moments of joy, I just am ecstatic in them. I love that invitation for everyone to be aware of. Emotions are quite interesting in the sense that if we numb the joy, we're not allowing ourselves to really be present to it. And so, you know, for a lot of people, it feels more comfortable to be going at that survival baseline. And the idea to think about pleasure, receiving pleasure or enjoying things just for fun can feel so uncomfortable. So I love that you've learned how to lean into joy and really enjoy it. I'm going to say it wrong, so maybe we'll link it in a note or put it somewhere for people listening to get, but it's just this great sort of whole paragraph about finding the joy in every moment, just like loving your morning sip of coffee and just loving when you wake up, just like living your life to the max and just those normal moments, just finding joy in things you do every day. You know, like when you come home from work, just be so excited to see your family, you know, because it's those moments that make up the majority of your life. It's not the when you do the grand gestures in your life, they're just fleeting things. But these everyday moments that you do every day, just fall in love with your life. We can fall in love with our lives when we are well rested, when we're moving our body, when we're nourishing ourselves, because it's so hard to see clearly and be present to our lives when we're constantly reaching for that next bit of sugar, Mm. that next drink, that coffee. Think about how much mental real estate that takes up to always be on for the next thing. I've just got to get through this. I've just got to get through this. Just got to get through this, get through this meeting, get through this, get through the pickup. Instead of I'm in the meeting, I'm talking to people, (laughs) I'm present. And I think it's just a different way of being. It's like a whole paradigm shift. Yeah, that I meditate and the type of meditation that I do is called Vedic meditation. And I think maybe it was five or six years ago, I started that and it's a like 20 minute practice and you just get given a word what's called a mantra and that is just something that you can do absolutely anywhere sort of the same as yoga like I practice yoga for my experience off the mat I don't know if that's a strange concept to say but I go to yoga for this one hour a day to make my 23 other hours in that day good I sleep better I'm more present and meditation is the same. I do that 20 minute for me, it's morning and afternoon practice to make my eyes open experience better. I get this moment before I respond to people and something might annoy me, you know, someone cuts me off and I get this time to respond rather than just going into a negative emotion, anger or something like that. Those practices that I have in my life give me those moments of presence and awareness to slow down in my everyday. You know, I once was walking behind my meditation teacher and she just walks so slowly and with presence. And it's just like what I just wanted to embody. So I love that because, yeah, I'm a million miles an hour. I have ADHD. I'm on the go. Those little things I need to bring into my day. Yes. And I love what you're highlighting here. You have a default way of being go quick, race, race, Mm -hmm. and you're bringing in design strategies and practices to slow yourself down. Yep. And the easiest one is it's just putting your legs up the wall. You know, there's a Sanskrit yoga name for it, but it's literally just put your bum against the wall. You put your legs up the wall and you just lie there for 20 minutes and you do nothing. And it just restores you, brings energy back. You can do it when you wake up. You can do it in the middle of the day or before you go to bed. And it's a really grounding practice, again, that you can just do anywhere. It could be on your bed against a tree in a park. And it grounds you and just brings you back down and slows you down and costs nothing and is always there for you. Having these little practices in my back pocket has helped so much over the last few years. You're listening to the School of Wellbeing podcast with Meg Durham. To learn how I can help you thrive, visit openmindeducation.com. There you will find out about Thrive by Design, my workplace wellbeing program. 
Energy by Design, my game-changing program for educators, and Impact by Design, helping student leaders have an impact in their school community. As the world is opening up and live events are happening, I am back on stage. If you are looking for a wellbeing speaker that can share information that makes sense with your audience, please reach out. I love to share wellbeing education that makes sense. Now, let's get back to my conversation with Emily Hazel. Oh, I'm loving all of these simple strategies that you're sharing that anyone could try at any time. And so how did you go from researching, really trying to understand happiness, what serotonin is, how it works in our body, to opening <laughs> a cafe? Like, how does that happen? Well, it was a lot of synchronicity. And at this same time, back in high school, when I was sort of struggling with my mood, my goal was always to actually have a, a food venue. Back then, um, my girlfriends and I would go to this tiny little Japanese restaurant in Hawthorne in Melbourne, and it's called Samurai, and it's still there today. I had it last week, and it was cheap, cheerful. There's no alcohol, so you're in, you're out. Back in the day, it was $9 for a soup, an entree, a main, a drink, and a dessert all together. So it was great for our you know, high school budget, and we would go there, and the Japanese food, you just leave feeling satiated feel full and satisfied. You you don't sort of overeat. It's really clean for lack of a better word. I wanted to open up my own samurai. (laughs) This was the journey that I was on. And a friend at the time who's now a very famous food writer in Melbourne, Sophia Levin, her family would take her to brunch on Wednesdays at my school. We started, I think, an hour later. And her parents would take her out and her brothers. And sometimes I would get to join to brunch. And that was sort of back in the maybe 2004, 2005. So the brunch culture was like really just starting in Melbourne. So then once I left school and yeah, moved out on my own, we would all brunch. And then at this time, I'm still designing this Japanese idea. It was going to be a Japanese breakfast restaurant because that sort of didn't exist. And then, yeah, my two worlds collided. I learned about natural happiness. I learned about eating what's called sort of tryptophan, which is the precursor to serotonin. So that's naturally occurring in complex carbohydrates, just like sweet potato and banana and Sort of generally, if you eat a healthy diet, you are generally a happier person, you know? So I'd learned all of these things and I was still opening up this Japanese cafe. And then a friend of mine who doesn't remember saying it, he literally just said to me, why are you eating this way? It's changed your mind. I can see your whole energy body life has changed because you're eating this way and you're still opening a Japanese cafe. He's like, why don't you open a serotonin cafe? And I was like, "Hmm." (laughs) that's a great idea. To this day, he doesn't remember saying it at all, which is hilarious. Then from that moment, it changed. My direction changed and I designed the whole menu around this. And as well, yeah, I'd been really struggling to find places to eat because I had changed the way I ate and I was sort of eating more plant-based food and I had noticed already how different foods made me feel. So I was going out to these brunch places and eating hot cakes and all these things where they have so much, you know, refined sugar added and so many ingredients. I wrote a 21-step food ethos that we still use today, which all of our meals are designed around. They're plant-based, which for me means that the base of them is actually fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds. So whereas by the same definition, Oreos are plant-based, so the Oreos are a vegan food, we are not going to sell Oreos at serotonin because they're not based on plants. That's the definition for me. And then, yeah, everything we sell is based off this ethos. And then I just kept pushing it, pushing it. I went back to university and did a double degree in interior architecture and communication design because I wanted to be able to do the fit out myself, do the branding myself. And I designed the whole venue. Yes, we have swings for seats, Japanese tatami, sunken booths sort of made it from the old Japanese concept into this. I just love sitting down, crossing my legs and eating. That's how I sort of love to eat. That's how I'm sitting right now on the ground. And all these different elements over the years came in. So it was very science-based what we doing so we have like conical flasks and we have beakers and there's a sort of hexagon theme because that's the molecule for serotonin and yeah it just evolved it was 10 years in the making it's sort of a quote I always see that every successful business is 10 years in the making and it couldn't be more true it wasn't just something that happened overnight oh the science teacher in me just and the health <laughs> and PE teachers like, this is just all my favorite things all in once and it is such a beautiful space to come to because you know that when you go to serotonin you're going to feel good you're going to leave feeling good you've had nutrient rich foods they're also beautiful and they're aesthetically pleasing and it's a (laughs) wonderful experience and I'd love to know what unexpected things have happened in your life since opening the cafe well my health was 
at a peak when I opened. I'd, yeah, been eating all this food this certain way and I'd been learning about my body and then I was absolutely not prepared for what was to come. I, as it turned out, am very good at spreading the word and marketing. And so the day we opened the first weekend, we had a thousand customers. So it was absolute mayhem and I just wasn't prepared for it. I actually had never worked a day in hospitality (laughs) until the day we opened. So I had no idea what I was doing and I just had to learn on the fly and it was just so busy. So I ended up getting plantar fasciitis, which is sort of, it's in your feet. And I had had pain in sort of my glutes and my calves and my hamstrings. And I was just powering through it because I was doing everything at this stage. I was opening and closing. And back then we opened at 6am and closed at 5pm. So I was doing the whole service. I was the manager. I was running everything. I was training everyone. I was then I would shut the doors and I would have to do all of the bookkeeping and the marketing. And so about 12 months in, I just bent down one day to grab something and it felt like two knives went into my heels. And I was like, oh, that's not good. I went home and the next morning I just couldn't stand up, stepped out of bed and I just fell over. And I was like, oh shit. That was huge. And I didn't know what it was. And I actually went to sort of however I saw at the time and they couldn't, they didn't know what it was. And Yeah, it turned out to be what's called plantar fasciitis and it's sort of an 18-month injury. There's a few things you can do in between, but I ended up buying a stool and sitting at the till and I couldn't walk around um, and that actually what did was leveled up my business. I had to bring in a manager. I had to bring in a bookkeeper. I had to hand off everything that I'd been doing. So really that took me from the sort of startup phase, which I feel like you have to go through because I was able to systemize it. I'd been the one doing everything. So I just wrote a list of what I'd been doing. And therefore this is now the system of how we <laughs> open and close. The plantar fasciitis really stopped me in my tracks. And then because I'd been doing all these things, my good eating habits had gone out the window. We would open and I was just running on adrenaline and I didn't actually drink coffee either before I opened a cafe. So I would load up on coffee and I wouldn't eat until sort of 5, 6 p.m. when we closed. And that just played havoc on my hormones. And my skin sort of started, it started to show up in my skin, really hormonal cystic acne. So I went to a naturopath and she was the one. And then, yeah, I'd sort of learned how to be happy. I hadn't learned anything about hormones. So then that really upskilled me learning about cortisol and all the different sex hormones. I ended up getting melasma, which a customer said to me, I remember exactly where I was standing. It's just one of those like aha moments. She's like, what's all over your face? And I was like, oh, thought I had some food on my face or something. And it was these big brown patches all over my cheeks, all over my forehead. I had the mustache and a, a lot of pregnant women get it. It's called cloasma. But when you're not pregnant, it's called melasma. And in Chinese medicine, it's liver spots on your face. So really, your hormones are just so off because I've just been running on adrenaline, burning myself out. And still to this day, I'm still working on sort of balancing out my hormones. They're the biggest lessons I learned that you, you know, you need to keep following your own rules (laughs) once you open up a health venue and keep eating and keep sleeping. And now I, yeah, I, I stopped doing yoga. I stopped doing everything. I just made it my business. So, you know, I think I had to go through that as well to learn everything I know now, but now I work very, very differently. Thank you so much for sharing that, Emily, because I'm sure everybody can resonate with this. You get into such a good groove, you're sleeping well, you're eating well, you're exercising, and then something changes. <laughs> it could be work, it could be you've had a baby, going through a divorce, whatever happens. And then all of those good practices slowly but surely fade away. <laughs> And it can take us some time to catch up with the fact that we've really let all those things slip because we can get away with it for a few days, for a few weeks, even 12 months, 18 months with this surge of adrenaline and the real rush. But eventually it catches up to all of us. And that was the most frustrating part when I, yeah, exactly realized. And I was like, oh, Em, you've let all the research and things that you've done to get to that good place of wellness slip. So at least I had a roadmap of how to get back quite quickly. That was a positive. Yes. And also because you've done all that work before, you can say, radio, let's focus on sleep. Let's nail this down. I know for me, there'll be times when things have slipped about the 72 hour mark. I really start to notice like, okay, you're really starting to feel differently because I'm starting to think differently. My thoughts are a bit more skewed to the negative and a Mm -hmm. bit can't be bothered. And I have to have a little check-in with myself. And that's where I check in with my battery, sleep, move, nourish, rest, connect. Where am I? What can I do? And that's what I did this morning when I was feeling a bit flat doing my workout. I just had really low energy. 
And so my talk this morning was, okay, nourishment. The yep. next three days, you've got to really up the nutrients because you've let that slip and it's been fun, but your body <laughs> really needs some nourishment where it would have taken me maybe months to really join the dots, but now it's much quicker. Then you retweak and then go again. Yep. Yep. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> And so starting a business, balancing out your well-being, what have you learned from having that experience to where you are now? How do you work differently? Yeah, I guess starting with the serotonin formula, which is these 12 steps to natural happiness. That's where I always go back from and making sleep a priority. Sleep is number one of the 12 steps. And then sleep hygiene is sort of a term that's come out in the last few years but having no technology in my room at all. So putting my phone, I'm lucky I live alone in the kitchen. If you have housemates, just put it sort of out in your hallway and making your room pitch black, stopping technology like two hours before bed, which is a very hard one to get into because we all use it to wind down. Yeah, journaling. Um, I use what's called the five-minute journal, which is amazing. It's one you can just buy online and it's pre-written and you check in morning and night. And then there's also the My Goals Journeys, which is a great Melbourne, uh, the My Goals Diary, sorry, which is a great Melbourne company. So before bed, getting off technology and using all the great functions in your iPhone, like there's sleep mode for your apps and there's a bedtime alarm. So I don't have an alarm to wake up in the morning anymore. I use a bed alarm. So I have an alarm to go to bed and I've already worked out, you know, whatever I'm doing the next day, what time I need to get up. And I set that so that I'm in bed and asleep eight hours prior so I can wake up naturally. They're definitely the steps, you know, sleep is just the most important. I can't stress it enough. And we all cut into sleep at both ends. We get up a little bit earlier to get into the gym. We stay up a little bit later to work or to, to you know, watch that few more shows online. But making sleep your priority will change your whole life. Yes, I could not agree more. I am a different human when I've had disrupted sleep. I am so different and so irritable. <laughs> And when I sleep well, I'm just a happier person. Like life is more manageable. And I'd love to know, Emily, a few more of the steps. So you've talked about sleep, movement. What are some other ones that you love to talk about? So spending time outdoors, very, very important as well. So yeah, for me, that's like getting to the beach, eating fruits and vegetables. I'm not an advocate for diets or any sort of diet at all because we're all so different. And in Australia, our heritage comes from all over the world. So what we should be eating is so individual. All I say is just double the amount of fruit and vegetables you're eating. There's um, that saying, you know, we're not saying, but we are meant to be having six of veg and two of fruit a day. And the statistic in Australia is that 92% of Australians aren't getting the minimum recommended amount. Those 8% are probably like, dietitians so that just double the amount of fruit and veg you know just add it into every single meal and I cannot tell you how game-changing that will be on your body and your mind and finding a meditation teacher so one of the steps is be mindful and meditate we've spoken about that a lot today just being mindful in your everyday moments join a yoga studio they do a little bit of meditation at the start and end of classes or there's great meditation teachers everywhere and the good thing is you learn it and then you've got it for life and you can just keep it in the, your back pocket and there's apps and you can even just YouTube. A few years ago, I was going through crazy migraines. I was having these three-week migraines. I had three three-week migraines in a year and I, I'd had MRIs and brain scans. I'd been doing all these things. And then one day I was walking on the beach and I just thought, I haven't just searched up a meditation for migraines. I searched it. I sat down, listened to it. Eight minutes later, my migraine was gone, which it just reiterated to me, you know, it's all within ourselves. So connecting with others is step eight. There's reading and writing. So those are huge things that, again, are so simple. And we all have books around our houses. We all have paper and pens. So even if it's literally just mindful writing, which literally just means you start writing and it could be you writing, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. Something will come up. You know, you could do some goal setting. You could do some reflecting. There's always something we're all going through. So you could just start writing that and getting your thoughts out. Educating yourself is one. Volunteering and helping others. If you're ever feeling helpless, a great thing to do is just help others. And listening to music and dance. I'm not sure, Meg, if you know Cat Johns, who runs Zero Fucks Tuesdays. Sorry if I can't swear. Um, ZF Tuesdays. And 
she she's on Instagram and she's absolutely incredible. And she runs a movement where on Tuesday you just put on music and you just dance and it's hilarious. And everyone films themselves and put it up and we all make idiots of ourselves. Just bringing music back into your life and just dancing in your own house. Just like that's, you know, that can be your form of movement, just shaking it out. But yeah, they're 12 steps. They're super simple and it's actually a sort of poster that we've made. So if you go to the serotonin dealer Instagram, the little link in the bio has a, a link to a poster that you can just get for free and you just print it, frame it behind any frame you have in your house, grab a whiteboard marker and you just cross off the steps. So just make sure you're doing them every day. And then at the end of the week, you can see how many you have and haven't done. And then the following week, I just focus on the ones that I haven't done as much. Oh, I love that. The teacher in me, I love a tick sheet. <laughs> I love 12 steps. I'm definitely going to link in the show notes to that because it is these small actions mm. that build up. I love that idea of compound interest. You may not notice in the day, but after a few weeks, you really start to look for these things and it gives you that buzz. As we've been talking, I've been mindful of the younger version of yourself and that Emily was at school. And if you could go back in time to talk with Emily or to talk with young people in general, that can feel like they're the only ones struggling. Everybody else has got it together. Adults don't understand what I'm going through. What advice or words of wisdom would you have for her? Wow, that's a great question. I guess that everyone goes through the whole range of emotions. You know, you can speak to anyone about it. And, and just, yeah, starting the research earlier. You know, when I was in high school, we had a library in books. So now we're so lucky that you can just jump on the internet and do any research. So still now I go through different things and I'm learning different things. I'd never felt anxiety until my mid-20s. So at that time, the feelings I was going through, I would just say, start researching, just start giving yourself the knowledge and the steps. There's so much out there um, and there's so many little courses you can do. I'm going to be a student for life in lockdown. I did like four different courses. So whatever it is that you're going through, I would just start researching into. You can just start Googling um, and then find who that person is that's going to help us speak to parents and teachers and the sort of people that I didn't even know existed back when I was in high school is naturopaths and Chinese doctors. And now these are the people in my team. I see probably my Chinese doctor at least every single month and I go in and I just get acupuncture and the ancient knowledge that they have that we just don't understand in Western society is incredible. And they can give you these little herbs and I've taken, I call them bin juice sometimes, they taste disgusting. But having things like that in my back pocket now have changed my life. And then something I wish I knew back in high school was meditation. So the easiest meditation that I do tell high school students is called 478. So you only have to do it four times to make a difference. You just sit down wherever. Sometimes I use it like before I'm going in to do a big talk or before I've got a sporting event and you just breathe in your nose for four, hold your breath for seven and you breathe out your mouth slowly for eight. In for four, hold for seven out for eight you do that four times in a row and yeah they've done studies now that that will change your brain chemistry and it will just drop you back into your parasympathetic nervous system so your rest and digest so yeah if I could tell sort of my younger self anything it would just be the little tools that you have within yourself are so important yes and it's so exciting to know that young people these days are getting more and more access mm -hmm. to these kinds of conversation to these skills, to these strategies, and also the adults that surrounding them, you know, parents are reaching yeah. out for information, organization. I think everybody now is really getting to this place where they want to feel good mm -hmm. and they know if they don't do anything about it, it's not going to happen. The way that our community is set up, the way that our culture is, the way technology is, if we leave it up to default, we're not going to go very far. So we have to design our life so we give ourselves the opportunity to feel good. I have learned so much from this conversation, Emily, and I'm so excited to hear stories of people like you who have gone on a journey but hasn't just stopped with you. You're now sharing this. You've created a hub. The cafe is really a community, people that connect around similar topics can come together you do education exercise there's so much happening and that's because you went on a journey and had the courage to then share it with other people and I just think that is absolutely brilliant once we know how good it can feel to live well to then share that gift with others 
nothing gets better than that. So I'd love to invite you to wrap up this conversation by finishing four sentences. Okay. And thank you so much for saying that. That is so nice. I am inspired by. I'm inspired by the most random things. So if you hadn't noticed, very simple everyday moments and they just stoke my inner fire. So this is why I always try to be so present wherever I am. When life feels hard. This makes me think of a great quote that almost everything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you. So I unplug, I put my phone away, I get outside, I move my body, run yoga, jump in the ocean. So when life gets hard, just unplug for a minute. An underrated skill is? Listening without speaking. So you've been designed with two ears and one mouth for a reason. And this is something that I try to teach my staff. And when I see how hard it can be as a skill to learn, because you have to learn to sit in uncomfortable silences as well. Yes. And I am looking forward to? I'm looking forward to so much. I mean, I'm looking forward to my events again. So at Serotonin, we also have an event space called Utopia Place. And pre-global pandemic, we were putting on monthly education events. So there's just coincidentally, there was 12 steps and there's 12 months in the year. So every month we put on a serotonin education event with three specialists in that area. And then I just sort of MC the night and we do a degustation dinner to match. So I'm looking forward to in-person events again. Yes. How exciting. And I love the idea of people connecting in community around wellbeing topics. There's such a buzz in those rooms. It's just incredible. I used to start the events at sort of 7 p.m. for dinner and we would finish the events at sort of 9, 30, 10. But people would stay till midnight, one in the morning, because they're so hyped up. They're so excited to meet like-minded people. So now it's like a 5.30 till 7 so that we're home by 10. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Don't want to hit those double digits because that just <laughs> throws us all out. Thank you so much, Emily. This has been such a joy. And I encourage everybody, whoever, if you visit Melbourne, to go down and visit Emily at Serotonin because you are guaranteed to have a wonderful experience and leave feeling good about yourself and others. Thank you so much, Meg. Happy International Women's Day to you. You are such a powerhouse and a true leader. And I just want to say congratulations on your podcast. And I look forward to hearing future interviews because we are so grateful for this work from you. I hope my conversation with Emily has inspired you to take the next step on your wellbeing journey. To learn more about Emily's incredible work in the world, visit the website serotonindealer.com where you can learn about the upcoming events and connect on Instagram. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to stop and take a moment to think about the two following questions. Number one, from this conversation, what is one thing you want to remember? What is your pearl? And number two, What is one action you can take in the next 24 hours to support your well-being? Subscribe to my Thought of the Week newsletter to find out what I'm working on, upcoming events and everything that I'm currently loving, including books, podcasts and shows. If you're interested in participating in Energy by Design next term, join the waitlist now and be the first to know when enrolments open. To support the show, please rate and review on iTunes and Spotify and share with your family, friends and colleagues. Thank you for listening to the School of Wellbeing podcast. All the links from this episode will be in the show notes.